Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Weekend Review of the Armor Report. I'm Brett Rosenthal. Thanks for joining. First thing we're going to do is talk about Bed, Bath, and Beyond and the meme stock craze. I'm going to try to explain it in five minutes or less. My thought for you, take the big takeaway, be the Indian, don't be the crowd. You'll understand that in a minute. Then what we're going to do is go over to a discussion on right here. I talked to you guys a couple weeks ago about the top seven things we do at the Armour Report from a fundamental point of view to, to develop an idea we want to invest in. We did that with Trade Desk. We had a 260% increase in our capital in six days. That was an options trade. I'm going to walk you through the keys of these seven. There's a couple of things we did that helped us highlight that move. I'm going to walk you through how we did it. So it's almost like part two of fundamental research. And then the, follow, the, the last piece we're going to follow up with is a discussion about a week in review and what we think is going to happen next with the market, right? That's what we all want to know. And right here, this chart, uh, we're going to go over where we are in the bear market um, rally and what happens next. So I appreciate you all spending time with me on your Saturday doing this. Thank you so much. I've been running capital for over 30 years, my own personal capital and that for others. We ran, ran a hedge fund for a decade. And so what I'm doing here at the Armour Report and with Armour subscribers, Armour insiders, don't forget, you can subscribe right down here. Go ahead and do it. Um, is we're building a virtual hedge fund uh, experience. As subscribers, you're on the desk with me all day, sharing ideas, watching, uh, watching us trade, watching our trading desk. So you're involved in day trades, swing trades, and investing process. And you could look at, at our virtual hedge fund as like a macro fund. So we have the big picture for our investments, and then we find ways to capture alpha while protecting capital. That's what we're doing. And I share this information with you. It's how I run my own capital. So take what works for you, make it your own, figure out your own risk tolerance, your own goals, and all those things before you ever make an investment, right? So I'm not telling you what to buy. I'm sharing with you a strategy, and you figure out how it works for you. That's your goal, right? That's what you've got to do. Um, consider yourself a portfolio manager at a virtual hedge fund. That's what we're doing. All right, so... Um, First thing I like to do at this stage is we're going to crack Foxy. We call it Cracking Foxy. And what we're going to talk about is Bed Bath & Beyond. Now, we had a huge trade in BBBY last week at the Armour Report on our desk, day trading what we call Charmer Trades. Okay? We had the perfect setup, and I'll show you what it was. But that's not really the key of this conversation. I want to crack Foxy with you first. All right, let's find out what the meme stock craze is all about, all right? And, I, and I, I start by telling you that we made a lot of money trading Bed Bath & Beyond because this is not an argument against trading meme stocks. I'm happy to do it, okay? Here's, you know, an example of, of what we did, okay? So back here, this is a three-minute bar chart, right? So each bar is three minutes. Let's zoom out for a second. Um, 
actually. I'll pull it up for you right here. All right, so here's the big update. So this is what I want you to see. Every bar is three minutes. Okay? We'll go like that. Each bar is three minutes. The blue bars are uh, um, the up bars, the uh, red bars, the down bars. All the different lines are part of the algorithm we use, proprietary algo, to help us trade. When you see a, a white box show up, we're doing this throughout the morning. All Armor Insiders are watching with us, um, and so we see this happen. I put the white box up. I say, here it is. Here's the consolidation and the trigger. We're looking for a coil around a VWAP. The volume weighted average price of these black dots, we use a bunch of other tools to help us identify that coil. And the green bar is the bar we bought. And you can see what happened. Bed Bath Beyond went to the moon. Okay? So that's a typical charmer trade for us. If you want to be a part of that, feel free to subscribe. Don't forget, if you like this information, hit the like button. Okay? You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Then you hit that little bell. Make sure you find out every time we do one of these videos to do it right there. So that's how we trade. So I'm happy to trade mean stocks, okay? But this conversation I want to have with you right now is a five-minute, if I could do it, stuff it into five minutes or less. What's happening with these meme stocks? What's happening with Bed Bath & Beyond? What's happening with cryptocurrencies? I'm going to explain it in five minutes or less. And at the end, I want you to be the Indian not part of the crowd, okay? Meme stocks, cryptocurrency craze is simply the wolf of Wall Street in sheep's clothing. That's what it is. Don't try to dress it up. Don't try to pretend it's an investment strategy. It's the wolf of Wall Street in sheep's clothing. Now, why do I say that? Have you seen The Wolf of Wall Street, the movie? Have you seen Boiler Room? Okay. Any of these movies help you understand the manipulation of um, an asset. Now, I'm going to make this very simple to try to stuff it into five minutes or less. Okay. Obviously, there's nuances. Obviously, there's other things we could talk about. But just give me the benefit of the doubt here. Give me some poetic license. Okay. And I'm going to show you real quick how this works. If you follow, if you've seen Boiler Room, if you understand the industry, before Reddit, before StockTwits, before all of these services on the internet, what you had were a bunch of guys in Boiler Room. They were in Long Island. They created a company, called it, what was it, uh, PJ Morgan, trying to pretend they were JP Morgan or something like that. Okay. And, um, they found small companies that were penny stocks, right? Penny stocks, 50 cents, 75 cent stocks. They bought a whole bunch of those stocks. So let's say they found one stock. They bought a whole bunch of it. The directors of the company. We call them chop shops in my day, right? These are chop shops, boiler rooms, okay? Total fraud. They buy a bunch of the stock. Then they go out to their bullpen of salesmen, let's call them snake oil salesmen, and they say, get on the phone and call as many people as you can and tell them to buy this stock because it has a cure to cancer, okay? And that's what they did. And they ran out there and they called as much as they could and they got people to buy, 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 and the stock goes from 50 cents to five bucks. And then the, in, the, 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 
the managing members of that bucket shop, chop shop, dump their shares at five bucks. They bought it at 50 cents, they dump it at five bucks. That was the old way of doing it. And of course, that created the wolf of Wall Street. Okay, and there's many iterations of that, but that's the simple way it was done. Buy up a lot of a stock that's easily manipulated, then get a bunch of carnival barkers and snake oil salesmen to convince investors who don't understand what's going on to buy the asset and then dump it on them when it hits the price that you're happy you've made enough money. That is the wolf of Wall Street. That's boiler room. It's what it used to be. And we have a countermeasure for that. It's called the SEC. So when these guys do this, the SEC finds them, right, and puts them out of business. They spend some time in a real nice white-collar jail, and then they get to sell their story for a movie for millions of dollars. Okay? Now, fast forward to today. This is the wolf of Wall Street, but in sheep's clothing. And this is what's kind of interesting. We're in a weird situation right now. You have guys who figured out how to use the Internet, Reddit, StockTwits, I don't care who it is, to be their carnival barker, to be their snake oil salesman. They accumulate a lot of a stock that nobody cares about, that's easy to accumulate, stocks coming down, coming down. They find stocks with a lot of short interest. People are shorting this company. Going, okay, they buy it up, buy it up, buy it up. You don't even know they're buying it up. They use shell companies to buy it up. The most famous being with Bed Bath & Beyond, some 20-year-old guy who opened up an LLC in Wyoming and bought $25 million worth of Bed Bath & Beyond. Okay, this is a total farce. Then what they do, once they have their positions big enough, they start buying an insane amount of call options. And instead of having a bullpen of guys that work for them, that are getting on the phone trying to convince people to buy Bed Bath & Beyond, they go on Reddit and StockTwits and Twitter and anywhere they can. They have a network. So it's a larger bullpen of carnival barking snake oil salesmen than ever before. A rush of excitement. We hop on because we're just day trading. Bed Bath Beyond goes to the moon. And then we find out the next day, and this is really brazen in Bed Bath Beyond, and I wonder if this is the peak in the meme stock craze because it's so brazen. Right after the price skyrockets, we find out they're dumping a massive amount of shares that they bought. And they pretend it's some kid in Wyoming, a 20-year-old kid in Wyoming. It's just brilliant. But obviously that's not the case, and we'll find out about that over time. Okay, this is the wolf of Wall Street in sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing because the SEC can't shut it down. There's no office in Long Island with a bunch of, you know, 20-year-old kids manning the phones. This is the Internet. It's worldwide. It can be run from anywhere. It's very difficult for the SEC to shut it down. There's nothing to shut down. What have they done that's illegal at the moment? There's no rule against it. Accumulate a lot of a stock that has a big short interest, then use the snake oil carnival barkers of the internet, Reddit or whomever, to push the idea. It skyrockets, you dump it. And of course, there's a call option component. I'm, not, I don't have, I'm already past five minutes, so I can't explain that part, okay? 
Bottom line, if you buy a bunch of calls, it forces the market maker who's selling you those calls to buy the stock. And that's a gamma squeeze, okay? All of this is legal right now. It's the wolf of Wall Street in sheep's clothing. At some point, they'll shut it down. But I wanted to share this with you today in my Kraken Foxy segment so that you understand what you're dealing with. And what we said on our desk as we were making the money in Bed Bath & Beyond, this is not an investment. This is not a swing trade. This is a trade that's lasting an hour, two hours. You've trailed the stock up with your stop losses, and you book your profit and move on. You cannot be greedy. There's not a single bag holder, I hope, at the Armor Virtual Hedge Fund. Because we recognize this is a day trading activity. We don't hold it overnight. We're not going to be a bag holder. We're not going to be part of the crowd. And I don't want you to be part of the crowd. I want you to be the Indian. Join us every day 
and do the research that I'm about to walk you through on Trade Desk. We bought Trade Desk right here. I was sharing with Armored Insiders. In this green box, I was buying options on Trade Desk in front of the earnings number. Six days later, the earnings were released. The stock was up, and that position was up 260%. Now, why was I willing to buy that stock in front of earnings when those of you who know me and have been watching this channel for the last three-plus years know that I hate buying stocks in front of earnings? Okay? Because this stock is one of a few names that are on the Armour whiteboard that we call Armour Power Plays. There are few names you'll come across in your life when you, when you do research and you'll, you'll uncover some names where the industry is going through a paradigmatic shift and this company is at the center of it. When you find that, the reward is always going to be worth the risk I'm taking when I put money to work. And so I will occasionally put money to work in an asset in front of earnings because I think they're going to have a huge quarter. Or a quarter, let's put it this way, that's dramatically better than the street thinks. So real quick, just to share with you again. Um, so this is our seven basic steps to fundamental analysis. We look for quarterly revenue and earnings growth. And you could put a number on it. You could say uh, something better than 25% revenue growth. Earnings are a little bit more difficult. And we could take a peek here using Investors uh, Business Daily Marketsmith as our guide. Right down here, you'll see the quarterly numbers, the last four quarters for Trade Desk. Okay, so 50% earnings growth versus a year ago, 43% revenue growth, 24% revenue growth, 39% revenue growth. And then this quarter came in 35% and 11% on the earnings growth number. Okay, so... Let me just say a couple of things about that. Number one, we look for earnings and revenue momentum. And in newer businesses where there's a paradigmatic shift going on and expending going on, what we're really looking for is the revenue line to be increasing at a clip of better than, let's say, 30%. The earnings number can fluctuate a bit depending on a whole number of factors. So I'm sharing with you these seven steps. It's not that there's a specific number. It has to be this. It has to be that. You still have to do the work to understand the company. For instance, um, there are military plays right now that look great. Stocks are going up. They have great revenue growth, but earnings going like this year over year because costs are going up to produce product that we believe in the future will show revenue and earnings growth, right? So I remember Amazon, for instance, had great revenue growth and negative earnings because they were spending like crazy, opening up fulfillment centers and all these things. And the stock went to the moon. So my point is you need to look at these seven rules, okay, and then use them as a guide. So we look at the quarterly earnings revenue. We look at the balance sheet and income statement, make sure there's not too much debt on it, make sure that Day sales outstanding is not horrific. Make sure the margins aren't being crushed. How do margins help us? Well, just think of Deer, right? Deer is, you know, Deer as a Dow company, Deer should be crushing the numbers right now. 
And the revenue numbers keep coming in great because of their business model. But margins are getting destroyed because the cost to produce the product can't keep up with the inflation of what goes into the product. So obviously margins are important. We like to get to know management. When it comes to trade desk, this was very important. Um, And so what we did with trade desk over time, we, we followed trade desk and listened to the conference call, which is number seven on this list, trying to get a gauge of whether or not the management are, are um, trying to sell you something or they're just giving you the facts. You'll learn this over time when you do the research yourself. But there are just some management teams that are trying to convince you how great their company is. I don't like those companies. I don't like those management teams. I don't want a salesman as a CEO. I want an execution specialist as a CEO. And if you listen, which we did on our desk, Armour Insiders were joining me while we did this over the last couple of quarters, we listened to the management team of this company, and they just keep delivering on promises quarter after quarter. Now, analysts don't believe it. So the last couple of quarters, they kept saying, guys, we're killing it because something major is changing in the ad business, and we're at the center of it. And analysts don't believe it. The stock keeps going lower. So when the stock is down big into an earnings number, and we can just take a look at um, the stock again here, okay? So the stock sold off all the way down into the earnings number. Total disbelief in here. As they keep coming out with better than expected numbers, in here, the stock goes down anyway. Another good number, the market doesn't care, goes down anyway. Right in here, we're willing to buy it because generally speaking, something I've learned over the years. Two quarters in a row, Wall Street tends to ignore it. Analysts think they know better. It's a short-term blip. Analysts were convinced there's a major problem in the ad business and trade desk going to get killed. The management keeps saying you guys are wrong and analysts think they know better. But by the third quarter, three quarters in a row, the street begins to believe and you get a huge pop in the stock if the company can deliver three quarters in a row. And that's what happened here, and we expected it to happen. That's why we were buying the calls in front of it, okay? So number four on this list is what's key to this story, something new. I'm going to focus on that. There's other things here, uh, macro industry trends and something new. These are the two things. Number four and number five on this list is what really drove me, and those of you on the trading desk who joined me, into buying calls in front of the number. In a nutshell, and I'm sharing this with you now on trade desk, not just to say, well, look how much money we made. Well, okay, that's great. Stock's coming down now. This is at the very top of our power playlist. We will get another entry point into the stock. And I'll get to that in a minute, right? We're going to talk about the week in review and what we think is going to happen with the market going on going forward. And the fact that we're building short positions on technology stocks, okay? So there will be, in our opinion, an opportunity to buy Trade Desk. And that's why I bring it up today. I want you to listen to that conference call. If you have the time and the inclination, go listen to the last three. Everything management's been telling us has been true. That has value. And this is the story in a nutshell. 
the way ads have been served up to audiences hasn't changed since the 1960s. It's changing now. It's changing now because of services like HBO Max and Netflix and Disney Plus and all of these subscription services that are shifting to a subscription slash ad-based service. It's shifting because we've gone away from typical TV into the CTV market, which is now, I just saw the story just on Twitter last night, that um, that there's more viewers that just pass traditional viewing, right? So the trend is just gaining steam, and we know it's all going that way. So the way ads are served is changing, and the company at the center of that is trade desk. So while their competitors keep having problems, they keep collecting customers. And that's what makes a big stock. So what you want to do is listen to the conference call, which is number seven on our list. So you can hear a management team. And then you write down your notes, which is what we do. If you're at the Armour Report, you can subscribe to it. You can go to our research section and you can pull up Trade Desk and see all of our comments. We cover the conference calls and we comment for you in bullet form what we're hearing. You can see the last three conference calls. Then when you see what the company does, you realize these guys are telling the truth. They're killing it. Everything they say is coming true. That creates a comfort level for institutional investors. I'm not the only one that figures this out. This is how institutions run money drives the stock higher, and it creates a, what we'll start to see now over time are higher lows, higher highs, and institutional sponsorship will grow in the stock. So anyway, just wanted to follow that up because we spoke about it a couple weeks ago, kind of how, you know, the basic picture of how to build a watch list from a fundamental point of view. And now here's an example. Trade Desk is the example of how building your watch list, getting the algorithmic entry point, and taking your shot in front of earnings can really pay off. Now the stock comes down, it's gonna fill the gap probably, make a nice pattern, and then we'll get out there and start buying it again. And if you're an Armour Insider, you'll know when we're doing that. Feel free to subscribe right here to the Armour Report. Follow, follow us on, on YouTube, subscribe right there. And of course, hit the like button if you found this information valuable. So now let's shift, don't forget, we're going to talk about the week in review now and what I think is happening to the market and how we're positioning our, our virtual hedge fund. Fill up the comment section because we'll get to Q&A at the end of this and we'll try to cover all your questions. Okay. Um, let's shift over to bottom line. What I think is happening to the market and then I'm going to go back it up with charts and an explanation. Bottom line, to me, what we witnessed in the last 24, 25 trading sessions is a bear market rally. There is going to be some retrace. I don't know if it's a resumption of the bear market that takes us to new lows or just a pullback, which would be normal 
that sets up another entry point that allows the risk monitor to go green. We've been red the whole time. Admittedly, we missed a great swing trade in the market. Right? That happens sometimes. The question is, what's going to happen now? And I'm going to walk you through a series of charts right now to show you why we're building a true hedged portfolio right now where we're short technology-related indexes and we're long the energy sector. Okay? First things first. Let's look at the indexes themselves and see where we are. Let's look at the NASDAQ 100. Well, let's, let's start with the S&P. I always like that. Okay? So the S&P, I got it all marked up for you. These, the yellow dashes are the Fed day low. The white boxes are the Fed day announcements. Okay? And by the way, next week, hey, mark this down on your calendar. Friday next week, Jackson Hole, Chairman Powell is going to be speaking, probably going to be a market-moving event. Okay? Wouldn't be surprised to see the market down early in the week as you get some puts acquired and volatility moves up a little bit into what is a Fed kind of announcement. Now, if he says nothing, okay, but if he ends up coming out more hawkish or more dovish, the market will respond to it. Okay? Anyway, the market's rallied up to and through the downtrend, which is typical. It can happen. We talked about this last, right in here, I said to you guys, look, I, I'd like to start shorting the market, but so many times the market will gap above the downtrend and then reverse back below it. So ideally what I want to do is let it, let it run away and squeeze the shorts, and then when it reverses, put the trade on. Okay? The NASDAQ 100 looks the worst and reversed back below the 200-day moving average on Friday. We began putting, this is again a three-minute bar chart, so each bar is three minutes. This is a day, this is a day, this is a day. You with me? Okay. The selling right here, to me, topped the market. I think this day right here was the top of the market. The market was levitating, even though VIX was going up and the bond market was imploding, and the, U and, and the equity market was levitating to new highs on the run. And then we saw huge down bars on volume. I actually was buying puts right here, live on the desk, walking you guys through it. You guys, Armour Insiders, are witnesses to this. If you want to join us for this type of information flow, consider subscribing. As it was happening, I said, guys, I'm buying puts right here. Okay? I think the market's just peaked. Okay? And what we did was we went into the night holding puts on the NASDAQ 100, and, of course, it gapped down. Okay? And then we added to our position. This was the Fed minutes. So the market rallied off of the Fed minutes but closed lower, and we have our put position on, and the market gapped down on Friday. And so our put position by the end of the week is making money across the board. Now... I'm going to be the first one to tell you that anybody trying to call a market top, you know, is, is, is kind of insane. I don't know where the market top is. 
and, and, the, and the world is littered with people who call market tops. I mean, it's just a mile long. Okay, so I have no idea if the market's topped. Probably easier to call market bottoms and tops. So all I can do is put a position on when I see a moment in time where the market to me looks like Wiley Coyote running right off the cliff, right? He's chasing after the road runner and, and he just doesn't even realize he's off the cliff. Wang, right on out there. And his little feet keep running and he's okay as long as he doesn't look down. And when the coyote looks down, oops, <whistles> boom, right? Now the coyote always lives somehow when he hits that pavement. But your portfolio won't. And that's why this is the armor report. Algorithmic risk management research. Our job is to manage risk first, then capture alpha, capture upside when we can. Okay? At this stage, the market ripped above the downtrend, above the exponential 200-day moving average, right? To much fanfare. But when it was happening, volatility is done going down. They've crushed volatility so much they can't crush it anymore. It's just flatlining. And a lot of this rally was due to volatility selling. So that, that juice is gone. That makes the market susceptible to any negative story that pops volatility up. So that's one mark against Wiley Coyote off the cliff. Now take a look at the, the bond market. I've been harping on this forever. Maybe you're sick of hearing it. I was hoping, from a bullish point of view, that this would turn into a reverse head and shoulders and break above these tops. And instead, what treasuries have done, this is the 20-plus year treasuries, right? Treasuries broke down decidedly. There's no way to put lipstick on that pig. Treasuries are going to attack the lows here. Rates are going above 3%. The NASDAQ 100 and ARK innovative type of assets follow bonds closely, follow interest rates closely. This was a clear breakdown in ARC. Can it go down again? I guess it can. I guess it can. There's a lot of innovative type of names that are in the process of rolling over and probably going to zero. Carvana may be on that list. Okay. Affirmed Holdings probably is on that list. Buy now, pay later. How about buy now, pay never? So let's go look at high yield debt. Equities really follow junk bonds. Junk bonds are challenging the 50-day. They never got to the 200-day. This is why I say the NASDAQ 100 is Wiley Coyote off a cliff. NASDAQ 100 made it all the way up to here above the 200-day, away from the 50. High-yield debt never got there and is now challenging the 50-day and closed below it. Now, we got to close more than 3% and more than three days below the number to call it a breakdown. But clearly, the uptrend that's been driving equities since you know the middle of July is over 
in a high-yield debt. Let's go to investment grade. Oh, investment grade's doing the same thing, and it really broke down. It's below the 50-day, clearly below the uptrend. Okay? So to wrap up this thought, debt leads equity. Volatility has been crushed to the point where it can't be crushed anymore. So you can't squeeze that anymore to get the market to go up. And I'm making the assumption, which could be wrong, but I believe one of two things is going to happen. The market's just going to crash, go back down to the lows. Okay, that's possible. And no investment is going to work if that happens. Everything will get crushed. But let's assume the market just goes into a normal retrace. Let's just say that the NASDAQ 100 the S&P go back down to the 50-day moving average, catching up to bonds, which would be a normal sell-off even in an uptrend, okay? So let's go look at this again. Let's say NASDAQ just comes back down to here, which is not the end of the world, although it'll feel like it when it doesn't, you know, it takes a week to get there and everyone will be panicked. But that'll be a normal sell-off to an upward slope in 50-day moving average. That would be a normal test. There's nothing wrong with that. It wouldn't be... I wouldn't be wildly bearish just because it does that. I'd say that's normal. I'm going to have my puts on right up here. By the way, if the market closes above the highs here, I'll be out of my puts. So don't forget, I always use stops. My stops are very reasonable. They're very tight. Takes out the high last week, I'm gone. I won't be short. Breaks down from here, I can make a lot of money. That's the, the um, setup that I'm most comfortable with when I put my money to work. Small risk, large reward. Then I'll put money to work. If I can't figure out a ratio like that, I won't put money to work. All right? I think if the market just comes down in here to the 50 and finds support, there's going to be a rotation back to the inflation trade, and it's going to be reflected first and foremost by energy. So what we've been, oops, you're looking at me while I'm looking at my screen. What we've been doing is building a position in the energy stocks. And I'm just going to show you for the sake of time, and I'll get to your questions in a minute. I'm just going to show you the ETFs because these are the, these are the keys right here, okay? We have a perfect bottom setup at the 200-day moving average. We have XLE trading above the 50, above the 200, above the 14 and 25 day. We have all of those uh, uh, moving averages in an upward trend versus the tech heavy indexes, which are fighting massive overhead supply that's in a downward trend. Take a look at XOP. There's the bottom. We've been accumulating these stocks right in here and they broke out to new highs since we've owned them last week. A couple of our favorite names. You want to twist my arm? Okay, I'll give you a couple of my favorite names. Eras has been all over Oxy. Well done, Eras. You got that announcement from Berkshire Hathaway that they're going to be buying more Occidental and got approval for it. So Warren Buffett's loading up on Occidental. 
What do you think that means for all of the big cap energy companies? It's not just Occidental. There's something going on in energy. And I think we all can see it, and it's sometimes hard to believe it. Devon is my favorite, our favorite kind of mid-cap you know, energy name there. It's maybe it's big, but not as big as the, the internationals, right? There's a US EMP. I love this stock, right? I personally think the biggest money I'm going to make in the next 12 to 24 months, write it down. You heard it here first. The biggest money I'm going to make, if I'm right on energy, over the next 12, 24 months, is going to be in the service sector and particularly the drilling stocks. And I'm going to save that conversation for another video. Maybe next week we'll talk about the fundamentals of drilling and, and why it is uh, um, a, a setup better than any I've seen in over 30 years of doing this. And I've traded multiple energy drilling cycles. I've never seen anything this bullish. So I think I'll make most of my money on the drilling stocks. HP is my favorite. Okay? So right now we're running a hedged portfolio. I'm short. I like put options, but you can also use the ETFs that are inverse, right? RWM, PSQ, uh, um, SARC, S-A-R-K, right? The opposite of the ARC funds. Because I think at the very least, and this is the to wrap up the segment, at the very least, I think there's a, a reallocation of capital. So let's say we're in a bull market again. Let's say the market's going to go higher. We could be, right? Because the Fed says they're tightening, quantitative tightening. But the statistics are out. The Fed added. Let me repeat that in case you're not paying attention and you're making your coffee right now and you didn't quite hear me. So turn up the volume on whatever device you're using so you can hear this. The Fed added to its mortgage-backed security accumulation since June. Now, I thought there was supposed to be quantitative tightening. How is it possible the numbers are coming out? They just hit the tape yesterday. And you can see that they've increased their mortgage-backed security on the balance sheet. How's that possible? Okay, so look, this doesn't have to be a bear market, right? The Fed could be saying something completely lying to us, and we find out they're adding to their balance sheet in other areas. I don't know what they're doing. So I'm not going to come on here and say the market has to crash. I'm saying at the very least, there's going to be a reallocation of assets. Energy is going to be the biggest beneficiary. And if we earn the right to take more risk, meaning we're making money in energy, then we'll spread out into other material-type investments over the coming weeks, okay? All of this information I'm sharing with you is what I do personally. I'm not telling you what to do. All of it comes with stop losses. So if you want to know where I'm going to stop out my positions to protect my capital, subscribe. Join us on the virtual hedge fund desk and become a portfolio manager. Live the dream with us, okay? You'll know exactly when we get stopped out. We build an investment thesis, and then we read and react to what the market's telling us. So let's end this segment on this chart. These two charts, Armor Insiders, portfolio managers on the virtual desk with us, shared these two charts yesterday, and I thought they were great, so I want to thank both of you for posting these. Okay? The first 
I'm going to show you is a, an overlay of the stock market today, the red, versus the stock market in 2008. And what you'll see is an unbelievable similarity of the expression of price all the way to the rally that we've just witnessed that, of course, led to the collapse because we had a financial crisis. We're right here. So even back in 2008, the market made a double top. It tried to go make a new high. I might get taken out of my puts because it makes a new high, reverses it breaks down, and I put the puts back on. I might have to do that, okay? But history rhymes. It doesn't repeat. It doesn't have to be a double top. But this is what it looked like in 2008. And then the market imploded. Now, you're going to say to me, this isn't a financial crisis. Hey, man, I don't disagree with you. It's not a financial crisis. It doesn't have to look exactly like that. So let's go look at the next chart that another Armour Insider shared with us. Here are four scenarios of corrections. 1962 versus today. 2008, which we just looked at, versus today. Okay? Uh, uh, 2015 versus today. And, to, and 1973 versus today. Okay? What I want you to witness on all four of these charts, whether this is the beginning of a new bull market, which is the bull case here, or just a pause in an unreal bear market, all four scenarios went lower after this initial run. Okay? They all went, even the bull case double bottomed before launching in 1962. Even the bull case. So buying puts up here to protect myself while I fill out the portfolio with commodities and things that I think do well in an inflationary environment makes sense. Even in the 1962 bull case, it comes down and makes a double bottom. In 2015, it comes down and makes a double bottom. And of course, if we're in a bear market, this is the last opportunity to put shorts on before the unbelievable crush. So I'm going to let you decide for your own portfolio. I don't decide for you. Nobody does. Make your own decisions. My choice right here is not to get overly emotional and say to you, I think this is 1973. I mean, I do. If you made me, if you said to me, which one do you think it is? I'm going to say 1973. I'm going to throw out 2008 because I don't think we're in a financial crisis. And I'm going to throw out 1962 because I definitely I don't think that kind of market. So I think it's 2015 or, or it's 2015 is a perfect example because the Fed was raising rates, talking tough, double bottom, and then the Fed gave in and started adding liquidity again. The market skyrocketed. So 2015 might be the real winner, you know, and that'll be a test of the low. And then, the, you know, the, the Fed won't be able to stand it anymore and they'll start, you know, reversing course. Or it's 1973 which is a test of the low, inflation skyrockets, and the Fed can't reverse course. That's my opinion. But I'm going to execute and read and react. So I'm going to build a hedged portfolio long where I think I'm going to see relative outperformance, short tech-heavy indexes, and walk away and see what happens.
I have stops on everything. I'm going to protect capital, blah, blah, blah. Do whatever you think works for you. All right, let's get to the Q&A. Thank you for spending your morning with me, and I can't wait to hear your questions because I get a lot from this. You guys ask some great questions, and it makes me really think, and we do some research a lot of the times. You guys ask questions right now, and it ends up being part of the research we do on the virtual desk next week. So if you want to join us for that research, subscribe right here. If you've enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to hit the like button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that little bell so you get alerts when we're doing new videos. We put them out throughout the week, and of course, we have this conversation every Saturday at 11.30. All right. Let's go take a look at what you got for me. Is this live? I hope it is. I hope it's live. Otherwise, this is like the multiverse, and I'm Dr. Strange. Deb, good morning. How are you? For long-term dollar-cost average investments, which is better, SPY? Long-term dollar-cost average investing. Deb, I'll be honest with you. I don't long-term dollar cost average invest. So I don't have an answer to that question. That's a question for somebody else. That's a question for a different type of asset allocator. I'm not going to call them a money manager because they're not if you're dollar cost averaging long term, you're not really managing you know, money, you're, you're, you're assuming the markets always go up and that the Fed always bails you out. And so, you know, I, I, won't, I won't do that with my capital. You know, I just, maybe I have too many tools and too many scars from the years of doing this to just dollar cost average and hope the market's up every year uh, over a long period of time. So I don't do it. I can't answer that question. So... Moving on. All right. I'm having these strange feelings. Somehow the market may r rise going into the midterm elections. Mark, you could be right. I could get stopped out of my tech positions and the market goes up. And at, if that happens, <clears throat> I'm looking for the material sector to lead that rally if that happens. I just think tech is overdone in here because of what the bond market's doing. Okay, but that's why I'm running a hedged portfolio right now, Mark, because, hey, the market could go up, you know. Um, although I don't really subscribe to the belief that there's an ability for the ruling party to manipulate the market up, hoping to get elected in November. I don't really believe that. So, you know, it is what it is. Um NVIDIA, I think somebody asked me to take this off the screen when I'm doing this so you can see the patterns. NVIDIA, um, that looks like a double top to me, you know, and so a break back below the 50-day moving average to me means NVIDIA is going to go down towards the lows. But, you know, who knows? If it could take out those tops, you know, maybe there's something to, to be said for that. I mean, what you've got right now on tech, and I think this is something that uh, bears discussion, um, it's called overhead supply. There is a significant amount of overhead supply in technology stocks. 
Therefore, when you get ripping rallies, what that means is people are trapped in tech stocks at higher prices. And when the rally rips off the bottom, there's supply that comes out. That generally leads to, at the least, a consolidation at higher prices, making a high tight wedge, which will be great. And then we buy the breakout of that pattern. That's the very least. Most often, after an ass-kicking sell-off like we had this year, you rally up into the overhead, then there's people who dump into it, and you get a pullback. And if you make a higher low, proving the, the bulls are getting stronger, then you have a really good entry point. Risk monitor goes green, and I can't wait to get long the whole market. Okay? So I don't know where we are yet, but right now it looks overcooked to me, and that chart looks like something that uh, is going to break down uh, personally. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. Intel looks god-awful. AMD looks looks a little bit better. But again, I mean, so instead of me um, guessing, you know, what, what uh, you know, my opinion versus yours, I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen, neither do you. So we have to just respond to price. I mean, like for me, if I wanted to own AMD, I would put a buy stop in above the 200-day moving average. Clearly, it can't get above the 200-day. You see that? See that right here? There's a bunch of tails right at that green line, right? So what I would just do is say, okay, I want to own this name. I'll put a buy stop in somewhere in the, I don't know, let's call it 150 cents or something like that. 101.50 maybe, 101.60. So if it pops above there, I'll get long. And this really, really helps me. And so I'm sharing with you, maybe it'll help you, okay? A lot of the times I have a, an, an, um, we all do, an emotional attachment to a company and, and we want to own it, we think the fundamentals right, what have you. Um, and so instead of running out there and just buying it, okay, I use algorithms for entry points, but I also, I also look at the consolidation and I'll put a buy stop in. It, this really helps me, particularly day trading. I'll put a buy stop in. I say, look, it has to go above that price or it doesn't matter what I think. Okay, if it can't get above that price, the sellers are in control. So I put a buy stop in, and, it, and it, it takes away the emotion. If it hits the price, I get filled. If it doesn't hit the price, which i got to be honest with you, happens more often than I'd care to admit. In other words, I think the asset's going up. And instead of just buying it, I put a buy stop in. Because I, like I say to you guys, I like to buy weakness in the midst of strength with top day strength. So I don't just catch a falling knife. Okay, here's a, let me, let me give you an example. Let's look at XOP for a minute. So th this is strength in the market, right? Huge uptrend. So this is strength. I want to buy weakness in the midst of the strength. So here's the weakness. Bang, sells it off right to the uptrend. Okay, builds it. Now, I don't want to try to buy it down here. I mean, it's great. You can do that if you want. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. There's nothing wrong with buying it down at the lows with a stop right here. Okay, but I just don't like catching a falling knife because I think the lows here and then I lose money down here, blah, 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 all the way down. So I don't do that. I wait for it to show me strength, right? And then I look to find my way in. So strength, I want to buy weakness with top day strength. Once it starts to change, then I look for a structure to get long, which we did in here, and now we're making money on the trade. All right, so it saves me. It saves me often. If I put in a buy stop in like AMD up here, 
and it just keeps going down. Hey, man, I don't lose any money. I don't lose any money. But if it pops through there, I get filled. I don't want to sit there and stare at it and try to, I don't know if today's the day. No, no, no. If it takes out that price, I'm filled. If it closes down at the end of the day, I'm out. Okay? It hit it and went back down. No good. If it hits it, goes through it, blows out that day, I got it. Perfect price. I'm up by the end of the day, and now I'm in my investment with the low of that day as my stop. It's my favorite way to execute. GEO. Don't know it. Can't really answer your question there, Sean. I'm not sure what the question is, brother. Is that a day trade? Is that a great idea for a charmer trade in the morning? Maybe that's what you want to, you know, look at. Like if you were charmer trading with us, uh, Sean, this would have been an ideal charmer trade if this was on the list um, on this day right here. This is a this is a classic charmer setup. So. When GEO looks like this and sets up that tight pattern right there around the VWAP and pops up, if it's on our list, we're long right in here for the skyrocket. And, of course, you could actually get long again right here. This was another setup right there. And you, would, I would, you could have easily get long right here on that bar. And notice how it never goes below the low of the, 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 the breakout bar. The ones that work, this would be the green bar to be bought. The low of that bar is the stop. It comes down and tests, doesn't go below it, skyrockets. So, Sean, I'd love to have you on the desk with us. It'd be lots of fun, you know, and we'd have ideas like that, and we'd trade them together, you know, but I don't know anything about the company from a fundamental point of view. I always felt that they invaded Reddit. And use it to bed. Jay, Jay, that's exactly uh, what they do, Jay. That's exactly what they've done. And now you're talking about being the Indian, not the crowd. You can day trade them. So let's just remember this. Look at that trade right there. Probably a Reddit idea. Probably a stock twits idea. Day trade it all you want. But don't be the home with that snake oil and puts it on his medicine cabinet, thinking it's going to save him from smallpox. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. It's like, it's, you know, probably castor oil. <laughs> it's nothing. It's snake oil. The, the, the leaders get into the asset first, then they stoke the fire with Reddit and all the other services. And then they dump on people who don't understand how it works. It's the wolf of Wall Street in sheep's clothing because the, the FCC can't do anything about it. They'll change one day. They're going to get somebody at some point. It'll be so brazen, such as a 20-year-old putting $25 million in the Bed Bath & Beyond, buying a amount of call options in Wyoming LLCs, and then dumping it all on unsuspecting investors a couple of days later or whatever, when the, not a couple of days, but when it pops. I mean, that seems like there's something illegal going on there. I don't know. I'm not a legal expert. I don't know if the SEC can do anything about it. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to make my money on a day trade, and I'm going to move on. But I care from the point of view of I don't want anybody watching the Arm Report, watching these shows on Saturdays, get stuck holding the bag. You've got to understand what you're working with, you know? 
It's total snake oil. Mark, we can't wait to have you on the desk, brother. It'll be lots of fun. Um, two cents on, okay, CENX. Whoops. CENX. Well, uh, the first thing I'll tell you, Festeroso, and how are you? Glad to see you. Thanks for joining on Saturday. Um, CENX does play into my theory that um, our capital is going to come back into the inflation trade. But this is a huge, huge, you know, caveat here. Okay. By the way, we exited this trade right up here. That was a clear breakdown of a pennant. And we were out of that trade during, you know, that day. We exited right here before the collapse. You know, Armor Insiders can attest to that. If you were on the desk with us the day that broke down, you would have been selling your CENX, okay? Because we were talking about it as it was happening. This is it. There's a pennant breakdown. There's no point in holding this thing. Do you buy it down here? I don't like this chart pattern right now, okay? What I'm looking for, if I'm going to put money to work, is I want an asset with no little, little to no overhead supply. This asset's trading below every key moving average, all of which are in a downtrend with massive overhead supply. Now let's go look at um, the pipelines. Pipelines are breaking out. They're about to make new highs. They're above every single moving average. Let's go look at... Uh, Let's go look at um, all right, Pioneer Natural Resources. Beautiful chart pattern, tight, reverse head and shoulders, above all the key moving averages with very little overhead. So if I can start making money in the energy stocks and I earn the right to take more risk, I'll start looking at other names, probably not CENX because that chart's terrible. But I'll start looking at other names that are trading above key moving averages that are building solid bases. That's where I would go um, with my, uh, my capital. Hey, Michelle. My sister, I want to say hello to Michelle. <laughs> DraftKings with a pop. D. Let's take a look at... Uh, Well, there's another example, guys, of something that has massive amounts of overhead. I, I just don't see it. I mean, I just don't see it. What a, what a head and shoulders top that was. God, I should have been all over that short. I just didn't believe it then. I should have been all over it short. But this the first move off the bottom. Um, Sean, I, I generally don't buy the first move off the bottom. And this is true about the whole NASDAQ. So what I want to see now is a pullback in DraftKings, a double bottom, a higher low, some type of structure, and then an algorithmic entry point. If we get that armor algo entry point, I'm happy to own it. <laughs> well, that's what's happening, Jay. That's, did you see that story, Jay? Buy now, pay the, the, uh, a 
affirmed or whatever it is, they, they you know, are having an increase in delinquencies. And that's with record, record low unemployment. Can you imagine what happens to that company when we go into a recession and the unemployment rate goes up? And, and this company already has delinquencies on the rise. Good night, nurse. What puts are you looking at? What strike and date? Oh, Jay, you know, honestly, Jay, I, I share that information. I will share that information with Armor Insiders and on the on the live desk throughout the day on our virtual desk, and I, I will answer that question. But I, I just, I don't like talking about options, you know, with, with, um, with most investors. I think options trading is dangerous. I think most people don't understand it. Um, and so I, I generally don't pinpoint what it is that I'm doing because what I'm doing with options is, is in many cases totally inappropriate for most people watching this video. So feel free to join us on the desk and I'll walk you through exactly what I'm doing if you wish um, because we have an understanding on that desk, right? That I'm sharing what I do personally. Is this appropriate for your risk and all that kind of stuff? You have to make that choice, okay? So what I've done for the Armour Report is I'm carrying on our spreadsheets. So if you go to the Armour Report, you go to the portfolios, you'll see where we entered PSQ, RWM, SARK, which are the inverse ETFs, which are short ETFs. You can they're just ETFs. You can buy them, right? But they give you the inverse performance as a way to judge where my positions are. Now, how you want to express it is totally up to you. You could buy an option. You could buy the, the, the inverse ETFs. You could do triple inverse. I just flat inverse. I don't need extra risk when it comes to shorting. So just, or, and quite frankly, in some portfolios, I just short. I don't even buy the inverse. I just go short. So everybody's got to figure that out on their own but I'll give you this one piece of information. I generally will go a month out, maybe two months out. That's it. And I generally go in the money with the largest open interest. So go to the options chain, look at the, like, the Septembers or the Octobers, in the money, so if the Qs are trading uh, at, uh, let's say, 221.50, so I, I don't know, maybe the, what did I say, two, three, 321. So I might do the 330s. I might do the 325s. I got to see the, where, where do we have the biggest open interest because then I'll get the best trading between the bid and the offer. There'll be a lot of a volume and I can get in and out without getting crushed too much. So that's the key there. Not necessarily what it is I do personally, but find, an, find the option with the largest open interest and generally in the money is the way I do it so that I can get in and get out. Because if stocks are hit, I'm going to get out. And I've got to have a bid and offer that, I can, you, know, that, that you, you can't drive a truck through. You know? Down 8% in two weeks. I don't know what that means.
new highs and crash December 22nd. James, we'll see if that's right. <laughs> Who knows? Down two weeks, up eight weeks, plus a crash in December. All right. You're on record, James. We'll see if you're right. I'm not going to make that prediction. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, you make predictions and your ego gets in the way and then you can't read and react to what's happening. So if stops get hit, I get out, I reassess. Then I put positions back out again until I get it right. That's all anybody can do if they're trying to protect capital first and then capture upside. Right? If you, if you force your will on the market, you get carried out in a body bag. If stocks go up, they become extremely overvalued again. That's true. But th th this is the key here. Can I look at you for a second? This is the key. Valuation means nothing to me if you don't look at monetary creation. This is a mistake people make. Well, it's extremely overvalued. Okay, I've, I've seen stocks go from extremely overvalued to unbelievably overvalued and made a lot of money in that run. And I've left tons of value players in the dust because they wouldn't be willing to pay up for it for the simple reason they didn't realize that the Fed was adding massive amounts of liquidity. So what was valuable, if the pool of liquidity is $1 trillion, there's a value attached to that. If the pool of liquidity goes to $2 million, then the value attached to that must go up because there's just so many stocks and there's too much money and it's going to find its way in and values go up. So looking at one without the other, but it doesn't make any sense. But right now with the Fed supposedly reducing liquidity, that does make sense valuations, right? Because now you're going to, the pool's supposedly going down. I say supposedly because we see the Fed adding to their mortgage-backed security portfolio. So I don't, I don't get that. They're telling us they're reducing, but they're not reducing. Okay. Uh, John, you know, that's, I guess John's making my point there in a, in a more aggressive way. I wouldn't call it a noob. I mean, everybody has to learn. Okay. I even know guys who are not noobs who've, who've been um, doing this for a long time and they miss, they, they, they miss many, many huge up stocks because they argue it's overvalued. And they don't recognize that money flow is what creates value. It, it's, it's, not, it's not looking at the, the financials in a vacuum. Uh, all right. Hey, Lena, how are you? Um, that's a good question. Strength in the dollar. I think you're, you're, I'm not concerned about that. And that'll take a larger conversation than we have right now. And since Lena's an armor insider, we can chat about that offline, uh, uh, Lena. But what she's looking at is uh, UUP. The dollar has, you know, gone ballistic again. So the first thing I would, I would argue, Lena, is, um, the dollar has been in a in a run for a while, and you know, I, I'd rather just chat with you offline about it. It's just it's too much to get into right now. But I think you're splitting hairs there. 
And the reason I'm long Schlumberger, for instance, is that I, I, I think um, after listening to a number of conference calls, and you know, you've been part of this, there's the Schlumberger chart. Um, I think that we're in a unique moment in time for the oil service companies, and Schlumberger is the biggest and the best. So the leaders I like to buy. You know, if you're right, I'll get stopped out, you know, and, you know, we'll, we'll float. But we, we've got a, a nice spread in our portfolio of a bunch of different names, some of which are domestic, some of which are international. Um, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about the dollar there. It is a for-profit prison. Okay. Exactly. The strength is what fools hyperinflation. I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to there. Um, but trying to just determine what's going to happen next, looking at currency markets, is um, uh, very difficult to do. You know, partially this is getting really strong, I think you could argue, has to do with a um, metastasizing war going on in, uh, um, in Eastern Europe. Okay, and so there's a lot of uh, fear and money rotating into the U.S. dollar. I mean, we could go on all day about this and why the dollar is doing this. Um, but I, I don't think it'll, I think it would be a complete disservice for us to do that. I don't love the chart pattern of um, the healthcare stocks. Uh, I got to think about it. If we could find a couple of healthcare stocks that make sense, maybe. But I think there are some macro drivers to the energy space that make me very, very bullish. We've covered a lot of conference calls of the energy companies, and they're all saying the same thing. That we're at a unique moment in time after almost a decade of underinvestment in the space. And that's really the macro story that excites me. I don't have any of that in healthcare stocks. Like I, I just, if you could find a particular company or particular something, maybe I would do it. But I just don't, I just don't see myself doing it right now. You know, like what about um, some of our favorites, like Lily? I mean, I, I wouldn't buy XL, XLV, but maybe there's a, a name out there that I would buy. John, I'm not sure what you're talking about there. Um, 
I'm looking for questions here, guys. I, I appreciate the conversation you guys are having, but I'm just going to scroll through here and ask, see if I got any questions I can answer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ear was on our day trading list. We were looking for ear for the day trades. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't have anything for you on ear. You know, let's take a look here. You know, the, here's the basic problem. Oops, Jay, let me get this off so you can see the bottom of the screen here. Right, so this company is like bleeding money, right? There's no revenue in it, okay? And they're just bleeding money. So before you could ever invest in this company, if you look at the seven steps of how I you know, put a stock on my watch list and something I'll invest in, go look at the cash burn of the company. So you're hoping that there's going to be an approval of something. And what you have to do while you're doing that hoping is go look at the reality of their balance sheet and see, do they have cash to get to the approval? If they're burning through cash and, the, and their cash is going to run out in six months and the approval is two years away, you know, they're going to have to probably do something that will raise cash and dilute current shareholders. And so it's more of a, that's like a day trading asset to me, not, not anything else. Uh, Ken Fisher on. Three years to run. The market's never gone down. Okay. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that that means nothing to me. You know, it doesn't, these are all, those type of historical predictions just mean nothing to me. And it just, all it does, and be, be, I may be very clear on this, all those types of predictions do. And anybody that's right now putting in comments about their predictions on the market, all they do is lock you into a mistake when it starts going against you. The market will start breaking down, and you'll be in your mind thinking, well, Ken Fisher said the market doesn't go down this year, so how can it possibly be going down? You know, it's just very, to me, it doesn't help. It's not helpful to me, you know. Okay. What else you got for me? All right. See, this prediction here, you're, you're going to tell me it's, we're, okay, we're going to go down for two to four weeks. Then we're going to go up until December. I just, I, I hope you're right. I mean, very strong energy stocks. And then full, full crash in December. Full crash in December. Where's your crystal ball, Jay? I can't do it. You know, this, I mean, I can make predictions too, you know. To make money, gold will do good from February 23rd. Okay. Love, Jay, I love the natural gas plays. And what we have is some natural gas, what we call, and Eris put this together in Armor Insider for some natural gas goats. <laughs> Best of all times. RRC is one of them. Love RRC. You know, um, RRC, let's see, SWN. You know, absolutely. How about LNG? LNG has been a screamer. Totally with you on that. 
Oh, good luck. I hope you're right about that. You know, I hope you're right. This is a long-term hold. What does it mean to be a long-term hold, though? That's my question for you. So you'll let it drop 50% because five years from now you expect it to be up? Does that work for you? It doesn't work for me with my money. So I don't call anything a long-term hold. If it ends up in retrospect, I have long-term holds in my portfolio. I own pipelines. I've had them in my portfolio for a couple of years. They're long-term holds. I didn't mean for them to be long-term holds. I just bought them cheap, and they keep going up. As long as they stay above stops, I stay with them. Yeah, tell looks good. I love, I love this story. I love the tell story. I'm with you on that. Yeah, you know what? ENPH is my favorite solar stock. I don't own it. It blew out on earnings. My second favorite was, you know, SEDG, and it totally screwed up the earnings number. I, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'd be more interested in, in uranium stocks, honestly, but then CCJ just, you know, collapsed, and uranium miners are breaking down. So I'm focused on traditional fossil fuels right now, and I don't, see, I don't see fossil fuels going up helping the others. Yeah, I love KMI. Kinder Morgan. Yeah. Hey, thanks for that, Jay. But it's just true. I don't mean to be disrespectful to long-term holders, but it's just a you know, if I'm a billionaire, I, I can afford to be a long-term holder. You know, people like to say, let's invest like Warren Buffett. Okay, uh, when I have a billion dollars, I'll invest like Warren Buffett. And you put a, you know, $300 million position on, and it drops 50%, and you have a 10-year time horizon, and it eventually goes up, and you get to say to everybody you were right. But for the average investor, for most people, um, for people managing a 401k or a retirement account, okay, who need to count on this money going, you know, at some point in the next five or 10 years or whenever, right? You just can't afford to see your net worth drop 50%. I mean, on the way to a long-term hold. You just can't. Stop losses. Protect capital first, capture upside second, then live the dream. Leave the... <laughs> ID Doc. We're going to keep having this debate because if you were an armor insider trading the way we've traded them over the last three years, you would have a profit in your account. You would. And I know you know that. I know you know that. But, but, I will concede. First of all, we don't own, we don't own this anymore. Okay. So we, um, we exited this position. It was basically a break-even trade. We put the position on in here. It popped up, pulled back. We're out at break-even, okay? We made a tiny amount of money, but we call it break-even. So, and I'll look to buy them back if it makes a double bottom in here. But I will concede this, Mo. It's such a headache trying to make money on these things, which we've made. So you've got to concede that for me because we've made it. 
and you've witnessed it. You've been with me three years. You've watched it happen. I have armor insiders that can, can, can attest to it, okay? So we've made money. But here's what I would say where I would agree with you. The amount of time and energy and mind suck that goes on trying to get these trades right, I would have made more money had I focused on different indexes, different assets, different stocks. That I will concede to you. It's not that we can't make money in them, but the opportunity cost of making money in them, is, is, it's, been, it's been a steep cost. And the only reason why I continue to look at them is I feel one day, one day, it's going to be very important to have metals in the portfolio. And so I keep looking at them. That was a great trade, Jay. Well done. Oh, we made money on long. Made money long. I didn't trade it short. This was the day um, we traded it right in here. We captured that ridiculous move. Here, and the green bar is where we were getting long, and the stock went berserk, if you executed correctly. We also made our money here on the stock. The day before, we captured that. This was the white bar, this was the green, and it popped. So we're day trading from the long side. We didn't go short. You, 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 you pick stocks, which ones will be around in 75 years? I'm going to ask you to think about that. Think about that math before you go to bed tonight. Okay? And ask yourself if that's really a reason to own stock, if it's around in 75 years. There are so many things wrong with that comment. I don't even know how to deal with it. First of all, give me your crystal ball. How do you know what the world's going to be like in 75 years? Second of all, um, if the stock goes from $1,000 to $1 in 75 years and it's still around, are you happy? Do you feel like you made the right decision because it's around in 75 years? I mean, I just, you know, I think I'm going to have to wrap it up on that comment. I just, I'm trying to help you guys out and share with you seven steps to building a watch list, looking for the right companies, doing the right research. I suggest you watch this video again. Go watch the video a couple weeks ago where I laid it out for you how to build a watch list. Um, buying something because you think it's going to be around 75 years from now is not on the list. Okay? I hope you all had a great time watching this video. If you found it helpful, I don't know. If you did, hit the like button. Consider subscribing to us. We'd love to work with all of you. Um, I want you all to have a great weekend. Armor Insiders, 830 Monday morning, bright and early, we will be um, doing our morning meeting, getting ourselves ready for the trading session. Okay? You all have a great, a great weekend. Take care.